following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Today's lecture is entitled, How and Why Do We Astral Project? We've spent a lot of time discussing the preliminaries, the causes and expressions of dreams within our daily lives. Without an understanding of how our psyche functions or malfunctions, it is impossible to consciously astral project at will. You might practice what we present today But without a thorough understanding of the psyche, your results will be sporadic and inconsistent at best. We suggest that if you are new to this series, that you take the time to study and reflect upon the previous lectures, since this course is structured in such a way that you can gain the necessary tools and understanding by which to make conscious astral projections a sustained reality. So why learn astral projection? A lot of people approach dream yoga, astral projection, lucid dreams, or out-of-body experiences due to an innate curiosity. Some seek the supernatural, the spectacular, or the sensational. The ability to fly, levitate, teleport, or pass through walls in the astral world. Truly, such possibilities inspire many to approach the study of dreams, which is the doorway to genuine mysticism and religion. However, Many students do not realize that astral powers are just a tool. They are not an end. There is really a deeper objective 
than merely flying around and or spying on one's neighbor. Some have wanted to experiment and find material, physical proof of astral travel. However, this discipline is not about convincing skeptics. While some individuals have worked hard to scientifically demonstrate its reality to a larger public, the true depth of astral travel is personal and experiential. Its beauty and mystery cannot be communicated by another. Although the great prophets and luminaries who founded religions all express the same truths in the scriptures. The truth is that astral travel can only be verified by you through your own work. Since it directly relates to the quality and capacities of your consciousness. The astral vehicle has many faculties that can help us find solutions to difficult spiritual problems. One can investigate the inner worlds to extract wisdom about how to live in one's daily life. When we leave the physical body behind and enter the astral dimension, we have access to a type of knowledge that is truly transcendental, beyond the limitations of the flesh. We can obtain objective knowledge that is not limited to any particular time, language, or place. Instead, our consciousness intuits and speaks a universal language known through the divine archetypes or symbols of dreams. Such astral experiences are truly esoteric or occult. While these two terms have a negative connotation within mainstream culture, they simply refer to knowledge hidden from and inaccessible to our ordinary senses. However, they are perceivable and comprehensible through the awakened consciousness. The body of spiritual literature we possess, whether from religions or spiritual authors, are merely an introduction and not a conclusion. This is because mystical knowledge can only be known through experience. Therefore, the author M of the Dayspring of Youth wrote, this work is but a slight introduction to an unlimited science. Salman Vyar corroborates the former statement. Occult science is studied in the internal worlds. Therefore, the one who does not know how to be willingly projected in, in the astral body does not know occultism. As we have explained in the previous six lectures, we need to cease dreaming and awaken consciousness. However, there are degrees to this. Just as you find more skilled, practiced, and experienced people within all disciplines, 
The same occurs with astral travel. Salmalanvir also wrote, It is necessary for the dreamer to awaken within the internal worlds before converting himself into a competent investigator in the superior worlds. By activating and training our consciousness, we can become familiar with the laws of the internal dimensions. However, you will only gain skill in navigating the internal worlds by first being aware of them. Some temporary experiences are not enough. One must sustain such states through practice. There are great reasons to learn astral travel. One of them, which we previously discussed, is visiting the temples of the White Lodge. This is any order of divine beings, masters, prophets, or initiates who have perfected or are perfecting themselves spiritually. Whiteness signifies the spiritual purity of the consciousness and has nothing to do with race. Many masters from all races constitute the White Lodges, including the Gnostic Church. While many Gnostic churches, lumiciels, or temples of light exist in the physical world, the real Gnostic Church is in the internal worlds. There one can personally speak with awakened masters, luminaries, Christs, without any intermediary. This is why Samal and Vior wrote, Our disciples should learn to project themselves in the astral body in order to visit all the white lodges of the world. In the Gnostic Church, all our disciples will be able to receive inner instructions. While we might deeply value the insights of physical Gnostic instructors or missionaries, such knowledge and assistance is insufficient. This is due to the fact that even effective instructors have limitations, either in relation to their capacities or their lived experience of the teachings. Also, some students seek guidance about deeply personal issues that is not even appropriate for missionaries or instructors to solve. Teachers have their place and role in the work, but not to tell students what to do in their personal lives. That power lies only within the innermost being or divinity. The most that a physical instructor can do is teach the student how to investigate solutions within. Inner instructions are communicated to us by divinity, who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Such instruction is personal and profound, conveyed through abstract dream symbols and spiritual experiences. They are direct representations of how to succeed in the secret path of initiation. This is the process whereby we spiritually develop 
overcome inner obstacles, and transform our suffering for the benefit of others. The one who provides such powerful guidance is God. The individuals are liable to make mistakes, yet divinity is infallible. Therefore, it is important to consider the context of physical groups and why we should train in astral travel. The most secure guidance you can receive about difficult issues is within, from your being. While physical groups can benefit us, the real transformations occur when we are in direct contact with the Gnostic Church of the higher worlds. In this case, the only obstacle to interpretation and insight we face is our own mind. Otherwise, we risk becoming confused by relying on people who may not be objective. Many do not recognize how common astral projection is. Due to conflicting testimonies, theories, or embellishments, there have arisen mistaken concepts within the popular imagination regarding the nature and frequency of astral projection. Many think that astral projection is for the few. However, just as our heart beats and our lungs breathe without our awareness, likewise we unconsciously enter the astral dimension every time we sleep. Astral projection is a natural part of life. Without it, the human machine would not be able to recharge or revitalize itself. When the body goes to sleep, the consciousness and the ego depart through astral projection. In the same manner that you drive to a gas station and step out to refill your vehicle, the essence, bottled up within the different egos, detached from the five centers of the human machine, and enter the internal worlds during sleep so that our physical body can recharge. Many people report hearing a cacophony of voices when falling asleep, random remnants of conversations, memories, moments, and recollections. These are the voices of our different egos, which are separating from the five centers of the human machine. This occurs every time we go to sleep, whether we are aware of it or not. It is important for our psychological values to astral project every time we go to bed. In the same manner that you cannot drive a car without fuel, likewise the physical body needs rest and recharging in order to function. Astral projection allows the vital body, which is an energetic vehicle, to restore life and energy to our physicality. The vital body penetrates every atom of our physical body, but becomes more active at night when we rest. 
We would not have life without the vital body, known as the Asad in Hebrew, the foundation of our spiritual life in Kabbalah. This body attracts solar energy into our five centers and revitalizes them so that once we get back into our physical body, we can operate it in it again. This is why Samuel Onvior wrote, During the hours of ordinary sleep, the internal man, dressed in his astral body, leaves his physical form so that the ethereal body can repair the physical body. Thus, this is how, after sleep, our physical body is completely repaired for the new activities of the internal ego. Therefore, everyone astral projects. However, people who suffer from insomnia are an exception. They cannot enter the astral dimension regularly because they do not sleep. Therefore, they suffer tremendous fatigue and illness because they cannot naturally recharge through the vital body, lacking the necessary fuel to optimally operate the human machine. Some people think astral projection is dangerous. But as we've demonstrated, this is a lie. We astral project every time we sleep to recharge our batteries, so to speak. Our consciousness returns every time we awake in bed. Therefore, everyone does it. What happens is that most people are not conscious of the process. In just the same way that we lack cognizance of our heart beating and our lungs breathing. Here's what Samal Onvior had to say about this topic. Indeed, projecting the astral body is not dangerous because every human being projects the astral body during the hours of normal sleep. Unfortunately, all human beings project themselves in their astral body with their consciousness asleep. People do not know how to project their astral bodies at will. There is no danger whatsoever in becoming conscious of one's nat own natural functions, which are eating, drinking, marrying, and projecting the astral body. These functions are completely natural. If traveling in the astral body were dangerous, as the fearmongers state, then by now there would be no one living on Earth, because everybody projects the astral body. And still worse... They do so with their consciousness asleep. Nevertheless, nothing happens. And so. Unfortunately, very mistaken people have spread propaganda against astral projection due to lacking in an awakened consciousness. Those who have awakened consciousness know and have experienced this reality for themselves. Therefore, they do not rely on any beliefs, either from others or within themselves. They simply know. To know how to consciously ask or project takes practice and experience. What we want is to transform an unconscious activity into a conscious one. 
For this, we need practice and discipline, not theories. It's important to neither doubt nor believe in this discipline, but to experiment and know. One must test these principles with dispassion. Just as a scientist has a hypothesis that he or she wants to explore through testing its principles. The point is neither to affirm nor deny what we don't know. However, most students either fall into the extreme of intense excitement or outright skepticism. Intense emotions actually block us from consciously accessing the internal worlds. What's necessary is a middle ground to have spiritual enthusiasm and inspiration without agitation or attachment. Success comes when we neither expect results nor rigidly refute their possibilities. Skeptics reject these studies altogether due to doubt and pessimism. They might practice a few times and get no results. They ignore that this is a lifelong discipline predicated upon activating the consciousness, not the mind. Astral projection is not an intellectual exercise. It is a conscious activity. We've already discussed how we dream all the time. People who do not comprehend how they dream who do not cease dreaming, never awaken consciousness. These exercises work when we do them consciously, in the same manner that you cannot build a house if you do not know how to use the appropriate tools. Likewise, skeptical people who do not know how to consciously perform these exercises never get the results they want. Also, Craving experiences is an obstacle. Aversion towards astral phenomena is also an obstacle. To perceive these higher realities requires we learn to see without attachment or fear. One must see oneself and the astral transition process with equanimity and comprehension. Neither chasing after nor running away from the facts. Samal Onvior stated, The disciple who wants to progress should not confine himself. The disciple who wants to progress must inevitably learn to project himself in the astral body so that he can transport himself to the Gnostic Church, where he shall be able to converse personally with Christ and with all the masters of the White Lodge. We confine ourselves through theories and beliefs. We also confine ourselves with statements such as, I will never learn how to consciously project into the astral world, or I am not capable like other spiritual people. It is impossible for me to do it. Others might even believe that it will only happen in a remote future through some type of blessing. However, the reality is that we liberate ourselves 
and experience the realities of the spirit. When we discover how to practice with directed attention and conscious awareness, becoming conscious of our full potential requires patience. Just as learning any new discipline takes familiarity and practice. People often talk about the astral body within esotericism, occultism, or New Age mysticism. However, there is a lot of ambiguity and imprecision when relating to others how we actually astral project. I mentioned how the essence trapped within the ego astral projects every time we sleep. This is an unconscious process. It is logical that if we astral project unconsciously, without will, then it means we are using mechanical methods and means. Falling asleep without cognizance, becoming unconscious for the eight hours when we sleep, is a mechanical function. It does not take any effort or will on our part. We have a vehicle through which we enter the internal worlds every night with our egos, but it is not a conscious or voluntary one. We call this the Kama Rupa, the body of desires. This is a mechanical vehicle, a lunar apparatus that, like the physical moon, regulates our unconscious and instinctual processes. We know from astronomy and in science that the moon influences many mechanical processes on our earth, like tides, vegetal life, and menstruation in women. These processes happen automatically. In the same way, we possess a lunar astral body that is a gift of nature. It is a vehicle composed of protoplasmic matter. As this term implies, such a substance is more ductile, malleable, and subtle than physical matter. Some people have the wrong idea that the astral world is immaterial. Yet this is not true. It is a dimension of matter, energy, and consciousness. But in a form more subtle than our physical dimension. The Kama Rupa, which is made of astral matter, allows us to go into the astral dimension automatically. However, there exists another type of vehicle that is not dependent upon mechanical laws or means. It is called a solar astral body. This vehicle is an earned luxury that few possess because it must be created through the spirit. It is the direct product of a particular labor known as initiation. Through the initiatic science of sexual alchemy, a married man and woman can conserve and transform their creative forces to give life to this interior vehicle. Just as a husband and wife can sexually join to create a physical child, likewise the same creative energy 
through a specific procedure known as alchemy, can give birth to the solar astral body. It is made from a divine solar matter and energy, the sexual energy, which is a solar force. We use the term solar to reference the creative potential and principle of God. This is the mystery of the second birth, referenced by Jesus to Nicodemus in the New Testament, to be born again from the book of John, chapter 3. The solar astral body channels superior forces and laws beyond mechanical nature. It's like a light bulb that can manifest a certain capacity, amplification or magnitude of spiritual potential. Therefore, this body gives an initiate conscious access to superior dimensions, spiritual states, and, and realms. Such experiences tend to be inaccessible for people whose psychological center of gravity is in the inferior worlds, within desire, the ego. It's important to clarify that there are superior astral regions and inferior astral regions. The superior worlds are heavenly and divine, inhabited by angels, while the inferior astral world is negative, inhabited by demons. The inferior worlds are known throughout diverse religious traditions as hell. We travel to places in nature in accordance with our affinities. If our psychological center of gravity is in the ego, then we will be attracted to the inferior worlds, because that is where the ego belongs. To possess a solar astral body grants us access to the heavens. Now, people often confuse the legitimate solar astral body with the Kama Rupa, and this is wrong. The differences between the solar and lunar astral bodies are like day and night. Even in appearance, the solar body possesses an interior luminosity and brilliance. When we speak face to face with a master of the major mysteries within the astral plane, they often irradiate a powerful golden light with tremendous radiance, penetration, and depth. The Kama Rupa is also a material vehicle but ephemeral, dark, phantasmic, like a ghost. The former grants spiritual capacities, full lucidity of the higher dimensions, the ability to consciously project within the superior worlds at will. For most, the lunar astral body facil facilitates unconscious astral projections into the inferior astral regions. Unless we begin to train ourselves and start to learn how to use this vehicle intentionally. But to create a solar astral body requires work in initiation. For that, you can study The Perfect Matrimony by Samael and Vior. It's important to clarify for students that a solar astral body is not required in order to experience the superior dimensions of nature. It is possible to awaken within the Kamarupa and learn to use it consciously even to visit 
Heavenly Regions and the White Lodges. Samuel and Vero related in The Magic of the Runes how he and his priestess wife, Litalantes, visited a temple of the superior worlds and saw many neophytes there. Dressed in lunar rags, lunar bodies, these sincere disciples were given access to the temple by the guardians out of compassion. Despite the fact that superior beings see our lunar rags as a form of disrespect, such masters possess conscious love, mercy, and understanding. What matters is that we are sincere and genuine when seeking divine aid. Conscious astral projections are facilitated through comprehension and imagination. Comprehension is a quality of the essence, the consciousness. It is an alert, voluntary, cognitive state whereby we discern the significance of any phenomenon without any sense of self. This is a very different activity than thought. We've already demonstrated how thoughts can be active while our consciousness is inactive. Thoughts merely happen to us. They are mechanical. Whereas conscious attention requires will. Don't believe me? Try to stop thinking. Tell yourself, I will not think for the next 10 minutes. Observe the results. Anyone who has attempted meditation discovers this problem, that we cannot turn the mind off. This indicates that we are machines and have no control over our psyche. Not only are we victims of thought, but also negative emotions. Similarly, we are driven by unconscious impulses and desires whose existence we are typically not willing to acknowledge in ourselves. Each thought, feeling, and impulse originates from a different self, a desire, or ego. Every ego expresses as a trio of thought, feeling, and will within our psychological centers, manifesting within us when the opportunity arises. Most people never question their psychological states. They merely think what they think, feel what they feel, and do what they do, attributing their multiple contradictions and conflicting desires to the illusion of a unified entity. This is the state of identification. When we become fascinated with our desires, we sleep as a consciousness. We persist with the dream that we are singular, not multiple. We shatter this dream through self-observation. What self are we observing? Our ego. Who is observing? The essence, the soul. 
Compare your essence to a director making a film. The director is the consciousness who observes the scene of any drama, comedy, or tragedy. The different actors are our defects, egos, reactions, thoughts, emotions, desires, etc. What do we want from psychological self-observation? By looking at ourselves without presuppositions, assumptions, attachments, expectations, or beliefs. We activate the consciousness. We direct our attention within. We can then understand the roots of our thoughts, feelings, and desires. So that they don't control us and waste our psychic energies. However, this can only occur if you comprehend your defects. Comprehension is an active force born from direct observation. It is not static or passive, like knowledge. Observation of the facts is different from knowing. We may know we are angry, but are we observing the fact? Are we looking at the structures of anger, its logic, justifications, reasoning? Are we actively perceiving this element and how it relates to a particular event? Or do we give it our energy and make it stronger, thereby deepening our suffering and the suffering of others? Knowing we are angry doesn't require will. It is mechanical. Observing anger is a highly active, conscious state. The same with comprehension. Why does comprehension aid with astral projection? Remember that we involuntarily astral project every night without awareness. If you comprehend your psychological reactions during the day and no longer allow yourself to be mechanical, then that same skill will transfer to when you go to sleep. If you consciously manage your human machine when it is active, you will likewise consciously manage your psyche when it detaches and departs into the astral world. Comprehension is strengthened through imagination. Since the more you can perceive within the spectrum of dimensionality, the greater your conscious range for discovery and insights. By activating the consciousness and its capacities to perceive, such as through imagination exercises, we also gain greater penetration, depth, color, hues, tones, and resolution within our soul. The ability to perceive non-physical imagery is the door to accessing the superior worlds, since the latter is the dimension of imagination. This is why Samal Onvior stated, Comprehension and imagination must replace reasoning. Imagination and comprehension are the foundation of the superior faculties of the mind. In order to enter the knowledge of the superior worlds, it is necessary to acquire the superior faculties of the mind. So what are the superior faculties of the mind that facilitate astral projection? We've already explained self-observation. Let's talk about self-remembrance. 
Self-remembrance must be combined with self-observation. We cannot perceive objectively within the astral world if we do not remember the presence of divinity. What does it mean to remember divinity? This is a form of spiritual pressure within our interior awareness. We also sense it in the manner we direct attention. Is our attention and awareness manipulated by desire? Or is it selfless, unconditioned, unafflicted? We recognize the divine presence in our heart, the superior emotional center, through conscious states like altruism, compassion, patience, fidelity, and conscious love for others. Such genuine states have no I, no desire or self. This means that we feel ourselves to be a child of God within the body, that we are aware of being in the body. Astral experiences are fueled by emotional energy. If you save such energies through curtailing negative emotion and enacting superior emotions, you open the door to the astral world. These conscious qualities are distinct from the ego and can only be discerned through patient work and experience. As a general rule of thumb, the less self you experience in your alert perception, the more conscious and objective you will be. However, the more attachment or identification with a sense of self you feel, the more egotistical your states and the greater your disconnection from divinity. Awareness is important for voluntary astral projection. To know our psychological states, surroundings, and locale are necessary. Since you cannot consciously drive your car if you are inattentive at the wheel. In our studies of dream yoga, we activate the consciousness through the key of soul which is an acronym for Subject, Object, Location. First, Subject. Become aware of your psychological states. Do not invest your energy into the ego, the self, desire. But learn to look at yourself like a director filming an actor, your own mind. Second, Object. Expand that awareness to your immediate objects. What are you interacting with? Whom are you with? What are you doing? Lastly, location. Become aware of your environment. Where are you? What city are you in? What country are you at? By utilizing these three parameters, the consciousness clarifies, expands, and strengthens.
However, awareness is not enough. Discernment is necessary. Are we aware as an ego or as an essence? Who is using our body in a given instant? We already explained that the ego can be aware too. But that is not the type of awareness we are recommending. What we want is a selfless awareness. An awareness without any condition or sense of I. This pristine cognition lacks an interpreter. It merely perceives and understands without having to label, compare, or critique with thought. The continuity of this awareness throughout the day and night is mindfulness. This means that we do not forget ourselves or what we are doing at any moment in our life. The longer you remain awake as a consciousness, the greater the possibility that you will maintain awareness when you go to bed. Through developing continuity of presence throughout the day, we also increase our potential for going much deeper into our understanding. To intuit what is really going on beneath the appearances of things. Intuition is the conscious ability of knowing without thought. You simply know without reliance upon the mind. The essence knows how to voluntarily astral project. It is intuitive and does not require any activity of the mind. The more you rely on your intuition throughout the day, the better your outcomes for conscious astral projections. Likewise, the greater our serenity and equanimity, our dispassion or non-attachment, the greater our cognitive powers for astral projection will be. Strong emotions are an obstacle to astral experiences, but a calm and confident heart, a relaxed mind, are beneficial. Lastly, the awakened faculty of imagination deepens our astral perceptions. Since we allow ourselves to see beyond our normal range of cognition, we expand our imagination through Visualization exercises, some of which we have previously referenced. Let's discuss a basic technique to achieve conscious astral projections. The disciple should lull himself to sleep in his bed. When the disciple finds himself in that state of transition that exists between the vigil and sleep, he should rise from his bed exactly the way a somnambulist does. Before leaving the room, the disciple will jump with the intention of floating in the atmosphere. If the disciple does not float, he should get back into bed and repeat the experiment again. However, if the disciple floats in the air after jumping, then he should leave the room and fly towards the Gnostic church. People often get caught up in their mind. What we are stating here is the need to actually get up from bed. Do not imagine doing so. 
Astral projections are an active phenomenon. Our consciousness must not be passive. The mind that fantasizes is an obstacle. The physical body must rest, yet the soul has to be alert. Abandon thoughts as you lull yourself to sleep. However, we have to maintain a certain threshold between wakefulness and dreaming. This balance is very difficult to establish and maintain for beginners. Yet it is something one can learn through meditation. Meditation is the doorway to the internal worlds. By consciously regulating drowsiness, we allow ourselves to access these inner dimensions. We must neither be too drowsy that we lose consciousness, nor too tense that we don't relax at all. Temperance is the key. When you hit that perfect balance, you are then ready to consciously leave the body. Salman Vior also emphasized the following. This is not a mental exercise. What we are saying here should be translated into facts. During the moments of falling asleep, the disciple will rise from his bed the way the somnambulists do. The sleep process breaks the very strong connections that exist in the vigil state. The sleep process permits the soul to separate itself from the physical body. So... A somnambulist is physically active while the consciousness is asleep. However, with this exercise, we want the physical body to rest while the consciousness is active. The one who gets up like a somnambulist is the consciousness within the astral vehicle. Detaching the astral vehicle is not something imaginary. It's factual. Do not imagine getting up from bed. Actually do it. Some people have the wrong idea that the astral vehicle is immaterial and unreal, and therefore they think that astral projection is a matter of the mind. As we stated earlier, the Kama Rupa is material, but of a more subtle composition. Yet recognizing this is not an imaginary exercise. It has to be done in the same way that you physically move your body. You do so when you identify the right moment between wakefulness and dreaming. Recognizing this state requires practice. You have to learn how to balance your attention within the threshold of wakefulness and sleep so that once you've transitioned into the internal worlds, you can become aware of being in this other vehicle. There are very specific signs that you have or are about to transition into the astral world. They include heaviness of body and lightness of soul. As you're entering the dream state, your body might have the sensation that it weighs a ton. That it possesses a dense feeling of gravity and solidity. Whereas your consciousness in the body is becoming like a feather, like it could float any second. Many people relate hearing sounds, voices, vibrations, electric sensations, and energy. 
Usually the voices we hear are our own egos detaching from our body. But some people also hear non-physical mystical sounds, auditory perceptions that are not coming from the exterior world, but from within. This is known as the faculty of clear audience or clear hearing. Another obvious sign that one is projecting are electrical sensations and vibrations, like energetic shocks permeating one's body. This often occurs between the astral vehicle and the physical body during the detachment process. You might also feel and hear high-pitched whirring noises in your head, or your heartbeats, intense, your heartbeats intensify. Psychic palpitations occur when your heartbeat becomes loud and magnified. It's like listening to your heartbeat through an amplifier, accompanied with a psychic energy or force that intensifies to the point that you project into the astral out of your heart. Some people project out of their head by concentrating on those vibrations in the brain. Either option can work depending on the circumstances. You might also feel physically immobilized while you're still aware. Such physical immobilization can be similar to sleep paralysis, except that you might begin to perceive voluntary movements transferring to your astral vehicle rather than your physical body. Be mindful that there is no danger to sleep paralysis or astral projection. We transition every time we rest, but unconsciously. In such moments, one is now beginning to perceive a deeper reality. What matters is being fearless and intrepid, to take advantage of this marvelous opportunity. Other times, people start to float above their bed, levitating and suspending in the air. You might even begin to see with your astral eyes while your physical eyes are open. It is also important to mention that we can enter superior or inferior dimensions depending on which part of the body we project from. Astral projections to the heart or the head allow us to enter the superior dimensions. Astral projections through the anus or the base of the spine will take us to the inferior dimensions. But why is this? The head and the heart possess superior psychological centers. We discussed them previously as the superior intellectual and superior emotional centers. These register and process comprehension and superior emotion. The being expresses through these two superior centers, whereas the ego manifests through the five centers or cylinders of the human machine. The instinctual center is located at the base of the spine and the anus. If you astral project through this area, you do so with the instinctual drives of the Kama Rupa or body of desires. These types of projections take one to the infernal worlds or hell realms. Because such egotistical states vibrate with the instinctual desires of the animal ego. Not only are the five psychological centers relevant to different types of astral projections, but also our chakras. A chakra is a Sanskrit term for wheel or disc. These are wheels or vortices of vital 
psychic and spiritual energies. Whenever two or more separate energetic currents flow together, they form a chakra. There are literally thousands of them animating our body and interior. However, we mostly speak about seven primary chakras parallel to the spine, since they have the most influence in the way our psychology operates and expresses. The heart chakra has marvelous potential for conscious astral projections, since the astral world is animated through emotional energy. Although we can experience superior astral projections through the heart, we can also experience the highest spiritual realizations by projecting through the crown chakra. This is the seed of omniscience, symbolized by the halos of the saints throughout every spiritual tradition in the world. Projecting through this chakra allows one to experience the world of the being, the highest truths, even without vehicles of any kind. After this explanation, you might, some might wonder, how do you ensure that you have a positive astral projection and not a negative one? How we astral project is based on our psychological work throughout the day. The less ego we have, the greater our affinity for superior astral projections. The greater our psychological density, the heavier our desires, and the more likely we will gravitate towards negative realms. Do not be discouraged if you experience an astral projection within the inferior worlds. It's actually a great step to realize our level of being or spiritual development. Only by honestly facing ourselves can we truly assess our situation and open the door to divine reality. Most of us are not saints yet. But to become one requires acknowledging that we are not that by acknowledging what we presently are. In whatever way you begin to experience an astral projection, the key is to not be afraid. Do not exert or force the process. Force and exertion are egotistical. What matters is conscious awareness and control. Real control is when the consciousness is in possession of itself which you relinquish if you react negatively to what you perceive. The consciousness knows how to respond to astral projections, to either let it happen or to take appropriate action. Conscious will is distinct from egotistical desire. The ego always reacts, but the consciousness knows how to respond with equanimity and composure. If you are experiencing an astral projection to the heart or crown chakra, do not force the process. Do not identify. Oftentimes, one should let the process unfold of itself. Don't try to accelerate or prevent superior states from happening. Just let these symptoms be. Sometimes acting prematurely could end the experience. Other times, waiting for something to happen and remaining inactive can take you back to your body. You will gauge the appropriate time and way to respond as you familiarize yourself again and again with these states. We always conclude these lectures with different exercises. 
Throughout the day, develop self-observation. Each day, for at least 10 to 20 minutes, develop meditative concentration through visualization of an image. When in the transition state between wakefulness and dreaming, get up from bed and apply the clue of discernment. Jump in the air to see if you float. Lastly, continue with your spiritual diary. At this point in time, I would like to open up the floor to questions. You're welcome to type in your questions in the chat box. We have a question. I can sense people are able to stop me lucid dreaming as I've been doing it all my life until the attacks really started. Now all that has been taken off of me or away from me. What am I to do? We're going to have a lecture in the future regarding spiritual self-defense. We've actually given a course with some lectures on our website that discuss different practices that you can use to defend yourself spiritually, particularly within the internal worlds. This is a topic that we are going to revisit again in this course, where we will provide some prayers and tools, much like the ones we covered before, so that you can train yourself, train your consciousness to enact superior divine will. It's true that while we talk about astral projection as not being dangerous, there are entities within the interior worlds who can be an obstacle for our spiritual development. And therefore, in the sense that there are negative entities within those regions, there are practices that we can fulfill to protect us from those influences. I recommend that you go onto our website under the course Spiritual Self-Defense. We have three lectures up already, which talk about many different practices that you can use, that you can study and apply in your own spiritual discipline. Some of the prayers are very elaborate. Some of them are very simple. But I recommend that when you memorize them, that you learn to apply them with your consciousness. These conjurations or prayers that we use in this tradition to reject negative entities are very effective. If we are conscious, we can protect ourselves during lucid dreaming by memorizing these tools and prayers and techniques. The reason is, if you don't memorize the prayers, when you are awake in the internal worlds again, you will not know how to apply the method. Likewise, you can't take a physical Gnostic prayer book with you into the internal worlds. Glorian has a small little book available with that title that has many different compilations of prayers like we mentioned, which we've talked about on our website and spiritual self-defense. The important thing is remember the prayers, study them, use them every day so that they become automatic. In the same way that you train in martial arts, you learn a technique from the basics and eventually develop it further. In the same way we use the prayers and conjurations of this tradition to be more effective in protecting ourselves. So yes, there are ways to help remove obstacles, whether they are from within your own mind or from entities that don't want you to progress spiritually.
We have a question. When asking to go to the Gnostic Lodge, after we have successfully projected, we may be asked for a password. Can you speak on that? There is a certain prayer that we use or password in order to enter the White Lodges. What you do is you cross your hands over your heart, your right hand over the left. When you approach the guardian of any temple in the internal worlds, you then place your left hand on your solar plexus and extend your right hand in the form of a pentagram. You do so by folding your pinky and your ring finger into your palm and extending your index, middle finger, and thumb out. This is the real symbol of peace, according to the Gnostic tradition. You then say to the guardian, inferential peace, which basically means peace unto your innermost divinity. Cross your hands again over your heart, your right hand over your left, and then bow with your head to the right pillar of the temple. Jaquin, and then bow to the left pillar of the temple, Boaz. Every genuine temple of divine mysteries has the two pillars of Gnostic esotericism, which is very well known within the Masonic tradition, Freemasonry. Jaquin is the pillar of mercy. Boaz is the pillar of severity. By this act, you are showing the guardian of the temple that you are working in yourself and that you promise to uphold conscious control of your mind when entering the, any sacred precinct. Because these types of temples are very divine. You have to be at your best behavior. If you don't, they can kick you out and will. So by performing this greeting, after the guardian says pass, you step with your right foot first, not with the left. If you do that, they can bar you from entering. The reason is the right foot is a symbol of spiritual force and that we seek to walk the spiritual path by fulfilling the mercy of the law. The right pillar of the tree of life, the Kabbalah, which finds its parallel within any Gnostic temple, is a symbol of the purity of the consciousness. Whereas the left can relate to how forces from heaven descend into the infernal worlds. And therefore, there can be a negative connotation to that. So step in with your right foot. Perform that greeting and be very honest with the guardians. You can't hide from them. Anything. They literally see right through you and will prevent you from going further into the, the precinct if you don't know how to conduct yourself. We have a question. When the ego is aware, there is mental chatter. And when the being is aware, there is serene mind and intuition with no thought. In a sense, yes. The ego can be very aware and awake. But that's problematic. Every ego manifests in accordance with thought, feeling, and will. Mental chatter is a part of that continual stream of egotistical loquaciousness in our mind. With all the cacophony of thoughts, mechanical associations, memories, daydreams. But when the ego is aware, one is intensely experiencing any negative element, such as anger, with thought, 
desire to hurt and the will to act. That type of awareness is very negative. And we've mentioned and discussed some of the nuances of this problem in the other course we gave online called Spiritual Self-Defense, where we talked about positive and negative awakening. Because a person can be very aware and awake that they're killing someone. Of course, this is very disastrous. The kind of awareness we're referring to is when the being is there. But within the being, there is no sense of I or me or myself. It is a serene, conscious state in which there is no affliction of mind. There is no condition or self there. The being is impersonal, is universal, is eternal. It is selfless in the sense of what we think of a self. But to experience and recognize that state requires that we abandon our thoughts. We observe the mental chatter. We observe our mind stream and allow it to settle and rest. When the mind settles and rests, when the different elements of our psyche stratify within distinct layers, such as when you allow a cup full of water and sediment to rest, naturally the impurities will layer themselves and become visible to you. However, if our mind is agitated and conflicted with problems, then the waters of our mind become agitated and murky, muddied. The being is there when the waters of our mind are clean. When you're serene, observant, without a self, without an I, then you can start to experience what intuition is, to know without having to think. This is why we practice meditation. This is why we study ourselves. So it's important. We have to discriminate what is going on psychologically. But for that, you have to train yourself in self-observation and self-remembrance, like we explained. But usually when there's mental chatter... It often happens to us because we're on the threshold of sleep and wakefulness, even psychologically speaking. We know, maybe we sense that we have a stream of mental chatter, but we just kind of let it happen. We're not even really aware of it. We're not conscious. Negative awakening, awakening is something very distinct and also harmful, like the example I provided. So to be awake within the being requires serenity and no thought. Yes. We have a question. I feel like I'm making progress in my meditations. It feels like I can get enough and there is much pressure in my heart or heart space. Is this good progress? You have to judge for yourself. Personally, I'm of the opinion that real success in meditation occurs the more we comprehend our psyche. We focus a lot in our tradition about eliminating our defects. That only comes about by observing in ourselves our own faults in action, the ego, and then comprehending their roots. Because by comprehending the root of a problem of our desires we can eventually eliminate those elements 
and therefore liberate the consciousness. Having some type of psychic perception, like a pressure in the heart, can be a signification that there are certain psychic senses that are developing. And while this is good and necessary, it's important to bear that within the context of a particular psychological work. By awakening our astral senses, by learning to astral project, there is a form of progress, or developing more sensitivity in the heart is good. But having that skill of knowing how to sense more phenomena has to be utilized consciously, has to be directed. So I recommend that if you are having these types of augmented perceptions, even in relation to astral projection, where you're starting to awaken in dreams as well, it's good to learn how, how to apply those serene states of observation towards a deeper task. For that, we work on the ego. We study, such as in our course on Gnostic meditation, the practice of retrospection meditation. That's the discipline in which we review ourselves psychologically and evaluate the quality and content of our mind so that we can comprehend our defects and remove them. So, going back to your question, there are different levels of progress, obviously. But having a pressure in your heart, you have to judge and evaluate for yourselves what is the real consequence of that. But also, how does it relate to a broader and deeper issue, such as how are you approaching your psychology throughout the day? If your heart's more sensitive, are you becoming more aware of how to fulfill your conscience? Superior emotion? The right way to act, feel, and behave in life? I think that's even more significant. If you can get a better gauge and sense of judging your own errors and learning how to make your life a paradise by fulfilling divine will. The more we work in our ethical discipline, as we teach in our other courses, the better we serve divinity and the more inflamed becomes our heart the more powerful it becomes, the more insightful. We have a question. How can we raise to a higher astral realm if, after we're, if we've already seen ourselves in an infernal dimension? And how can we differentiate one from the next? Where are we in our astral location? It's a really good question. Because a lot of people, they may awaken in dreams, but don't really discriminate where they're at. For that, you have to use the key of soul. Subject, object, location. But also, not only becoming aware of the particular environment you're in, but also judging the quality of that state. You have to listen to your intuition, your conscience. Unfortunately for many of us, our heart is very deficient, depleted, and weak. Mostly because of bad behaviors and bad choices in our life. But the more you learn to meditate on your distinct experiences, to look at a situation calmly and dispassionately, to visualize those experiences within your interior, you can allow those experiences to play out within the screen of your imagination. And then listen to your heart. 
Pray to the divinity to show you where you're at. What was this state that you experienced? Other times, with training and eventual development in your heart, you can have those types of experiences and then immediately know where you're at because you don't have to think about it. You just know. You ascertain the situation for what it is. Now, to go from a lower astral region to a higher one requires that we change our level of being. Because as I said, we gravitate towards levels in nature in accordance with our dispositions. If you're in an infernal astral state and you want to go to a superior one, I suggest you pray to your inner being. Pray to your Divine Father. You can do the Our Father, the Pater Noster especially. And if it's His will, He can pull you out. Because divinity has that power. For that, we have to rely on our inner God. The will of the being. But again, discrimination requires intuition. And it's difficult because oftentimes in our daily life, we don't listen to our heart. And that's the problem. The more you follow your conscience, the more you develop your inner judgment, the greater your powers will be of discrimination. There's a practice in our tradition called the runes. There's a series of yogic postures that we engage with whereby we adopt a certain posture and then perform prayer and mantra, sacred sounds. There's a rune called Rita, which relates not only to divine inner judgment, to strengthen our inner conscience, but it's also very effective for deepening our intuition about what is right and what is wrong. Study it in the book, The Magic of the Runes by Samael and Vior. It's a beautiful practice. It's good for developing our inner discrimination of our own defects and holding us accountable before divine law. But also it can help us to be more conscientious about where we're at and what we're doing. You can also do the mantra O oh, to vibrate with the heart, to feed the heart with superior forces. And in that way, you have more power by which to act consciously and to know your situation. We have a question. Are object and location in the way the same, such as in the key of soul? For example, I notice an, an object in the room and become aware of the room. But the room itself is an object. And so I become aware of that object of the house that the room is in. And then where I am is the town or street which becomes then an object, etc., etc. So is it looking at the same thing in two different ways? Okay, so first off, with the key of soul, subject is ourselves, as we know, knowing our psychological states. Object has to do with any item in our vicinity. And this can be such as anything constituting our room or home, pens, pencils, paintings, whatever it may be. We differentiate objects with location because, for example, in the astral plane, you could be looking at certain objects that you're familiar with in your daily life. And yet, perhaps, strangely enough, you look outside your window in the astral world and see that you're in a totally different location. This can happen because in the astral world, it is not limited to temporality, to time, or to any particular rigid location within the physical world. 
that dimension is very unusual. Primarily because while we can see things there that are relative to our physical existence, there are going to be differences. And the purpose of the key of soul is to be able to distinguish and discriminate that. So an object really just has to do with perhaps you're looking at a book or a painting in the astral world, maybe in your own home. The location is distinct because that tells you and gives you a bit of context for where and what exactly you are seeing. You can be looking at objects in your home, perhaps in a room, and yet if you explore a little bit, you find that you're actually not located where you thought you were. Instead, you could be in another country. You could be on another planet. The only way to know that is to ask this question. What are my states? Subject. What are the objects that I'm interacting with? And then, where am I? What is my location? Those three elements help us to expand consciousness. It gives us the ability to comprehend what is really going on. So... They're all aspects of one thing. They're different variations, but they combine together in the same way that if you want to expand the reflection of light, you can take multiple mirrors and reflect them. It's like expanding your consciousness. You're perceiving and understanding more because you're distinguishing what is really happening, where you're at, but also what are the different items in your home. You can be in your home in the astral world, and yet you have objects in your room that are not specifically physical, things that you've never seen before. So, these are different, object and location. There's some nuance to this. And what I want to emphasize is that we have to rely on all three and look at the connections between what we're seeing, between our psychological states, the different items that we're interacting with or people we're seeing, and the overall location of our environment. When you combine those three and question those three things in relation to yourself, you open the door to understanding and discrimination of where you're at and what you're doing. So, do we have any other questions? We have a question. Does astral travel depend on physical factors such as health? If you have an injury in one or more of the three brains, would that stop you? It's a really good question. We astral travel or enter the internal world every time we go to physical sleep. So astral travel, or better said, astral projection is a mechanical given. It's a mechanical thing. It happens no matter what. Unless you have insomnia and you can't fall asleep. And therefore, that's another issue in itself. Now, as, as to whether astral travel depends on physical factors such as health, there is a relationship between how conscious we are and how we manage our life as a soul in relation to the three brains. The three brains themselves are machines. They have certain elements, energies, and forces that are necessary for our spiritual life and also our physical life. There are many people who perhaps have some type of injury in their three brains. Maybe they suffer from a mental illness or an emotional illness or a physical illness. Now, learning how to consciously astral travel is dependent on how we as a consciousness 
learn to manage and conserve the energies of the three brains. Obviously, if you're physically ill, it's going to be very difficult to want to practice and to want to change and to make progress. Because there's a certain balance that needs to be reached in terms of physical health so that we can perform our spiritual work. Now, the thing is, we go in the astral plane every time we fall asleep, regardless. We do it mechanically, involuntarily. So we're doing it no matter what, regardless if we're healthy or ill. But if you want to learn how to consciously astral travel, if you want to see that dimension for what it is, it's important to take care of our health, psychologically, emotionally, and physically. Primarily because, as we're going to elaborate in a future lecture, and we kind of touched on this too, you need energy to awaken. If we're wasting energy through any of the three brains, if our three brains are sick, if they're not operating optimally, then the consciousness is going to be affected too. Because the consciousness is driving the car, or should be. What happens more often is that the ego abuses the three brains and therefore depletes us of energy, whether it's intellectual, emotional, mechanical, instinctive, or sexual. Now, an injury in one of the three brains, well, obviously that's a difficult thing to deal with. But the consciousness can work even with a serious condition, injury, or illness. Obviously, we want to take care of our car, our physical body. We want to drive it well. We want to treat it well. But even people who suffer from a serious condition or illness or injury can still practice this teaching and learn to consciously astral travel. It's going to mean that there may be some greater obstacles and conditions to deal with in the path. But it does not guarantee that, well, you're not going to be able to perform this work. Because that's not true. Anybody can perform this work. Even if one is paraplegic, in a wheelchair, is sick, who suffered some kind of traumatic injury. What matters is that we work with where we're at. One works with their particular karma in life and does the best with what they have because divinity helps any soul in accordance with their effort. So yes, there's a question, kind of a follow-up. Is there any guidelines on working with the three brains in a book? For that, study Treaties of Revolutionary Psychology, the Great Rebellion, The Revolution of the Dialectic, and Fundamentals of Gnostic Education by Samal and Vior. Those books go into great depth and detail about how to work with the three brains. So there's another question. Does heavy food make it hard to project within the astral dimension? We advise against eating a heavy meal before sleep. And it's very well known in science that indigestion can cause nightmares. Those types of experiences are lived perceptions within the inferior worlds, the infernal dimensions. Heavy food can make it difficult for one to have a positive experience. It's good to go to bed with a free stomach because you don't want the heavy foods like meats or other difficult uh, elements to digest to basically activate inferior chakras within the abdomen. So we've discussed how heavy foods like that can cause indigestion, which activates certain energetic centers within the abdomen related to infernal chakras or elements 
that relate to the inferior world. So it's good to have an empty stomach when you're practicing. Obviously, you don't want to be hungry throughout the day, right? But uh, you do want to be conscious and manage how you take care of your body in relation to astral projection. We'll talk also about certain elements related to that topic in a future lecture, such as on obstacles to astral projection and their remedies. It's going to be a future talk. So we have a question. Regarding insomnia, how long is it reasonable to go without physical sleep, willingly or unwillingly? I'm not a doctor. I don't know all the science and mechanics behind how, how much should an insomniac sleep. Obviously, every night, I would think. I know in some traditions, such as within Islam, uh, even mentioned in the Quran, like Prophet Muhammad would perform prayers in the middle of the night. Sometimes certain practitioners would meditate in the early hours of dawn or even perform vigils. This is because they want to experience greater realities by making certain sacrifices. So personally, when I've done this practice, such as staying up late at night and, or waking up early in the morning to meditate, such as with astral projection exercises. Basically, you can uh, open kind of the doorway into the internal world. Now, a lot of research and science might mention that usually two to three days without any sleep can lead to some problems. But if you go without a day or if you make the sacrifice to perform a practice within the early hours of dawn or to stay up for a few hours to meditate and pray, that's not going to harm you if you do it occasionally, but obviously you want to balance yourself, gauge your energy levels and know how much you can do, but don't do too much. Balance is the key. Any other questions? So I thank you all for coming. We'll uh, have another lecture in the coming month, continuing this discussion. Primarily we'll talk about specific mantras or sacred sounds one can pronounce in order to have conscious astral projections. So I thank you all for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.